The Old Testament reading this morning is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. It can be found on page 1021 of the Red Pew Bibles. But before we begin, please pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for being in our midst. Thank you for all the ways you have blessed us. We celebrate that you are the true leader of our faith and of our lives. We ask you to open our hearts and minds and reveal the truth as we read this scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired word of God, the Holy Spirit revealed word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Robbing God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke, rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul, soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? I only agreed to make this video if they promise not to tell you who I am. I mean, it's really none of your business. And it's also none of your business how much I give. I'm not gonna brag about it, okay? I mean, yeah, it's cool. I just got married and I have a kid, okay? And sure, you know, we get around, we're doing okay. But look, who I am and what I give is, it's between God and I, okay? I mean, the sacrifices I make are between me and God and my reward is in heaven. So look, don't try to figure out who I am or what I give because honestly, it's, it's none of your business. I tithe. Okay, that's a lie. I don't tithe. I want to tithe. That's a lie, too. I don't even think about it. 
Seriously, you think God's up there like with a big old checklist going, hey, you tithe, you don't tithe? I don't buy that at all. Okay, I kind of buy that. Because what do you say? Give to God what is God's and give to Caesar's what is Caesar's? I don't even know any Caesar's. That's a lie. I know four Caesar's, even the little one. Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? What if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And it's it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10. So it says in the Old Testament, it says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this. (laughs) Right up there. He keeps giving. I can't out-give God. How crazy is that? Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? It works, though. How do you think I afforded that house in Tahiti? <laughs> oh, what time is it? It's tithing time. I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom. That's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom. That's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friend's a tithe. I, w- I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something, but not now is crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money. That's a fact. But you know what? It's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more. I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this? Watch this. Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns. Come on. You want it? Ah, come on, pastor. Do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. But that everyone can hear how I give with cheer. That everyone could be like me. Okay, reasons not to give, right there, make real clear. Why should we give? I'm pretty sure it's not so that everyone can hear how I give with cheer. Not at all. In fact, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that the left hand shouldn't even know what our right hand is doing. We do not give to receive the praises of others. So why should we give exactly? What does the Bible say about why we should give? 
If you were here with us last week, you know that we talked about how in the Old Testament we see very clearly that God commands his people to give a tithe, 10%. Specifically, we find that in Leviticus chapter 27. God commands them to give 10% of their first fruits back to God, specifically back to the tabernacle and then later the temple, so that the tribe of Levi might be able to live off that tithe and use those offerings to help give worship to God. You see, the tribe of Levi did not have any land of its own, and so they lived off the tithe. But we also read in Numbers 18 that the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priests, were to give a tithe of what they had received, so that every tribe in all of Israel was giving a tithe 10% back to God. However, if you uh, look deeply in the Old Testament, you'll actually find that Depending on the year, many Israelites gave well above that 10% required by the law. If they had a building campaign, like the year that they had the tabernacle or the temples that they were trying to build or rebuild, the people would give well above a tithe. In fact, many biblical scholars point out that uh, they would often give well above 10% based on what festivals were being held, whether it was the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, and the special offerings to the poor of the temple when you add it all up, on a given year, they could be giving uh, close to 23% back to God. Yes, the people of Israel were very generous when it came to giving back to God. But that was in the Old Testament. What does the New Testament say about giving? What should be the chief motivator of our giving to God today? To find out, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But before I begin to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I think it might be good to give you a little bit of background about Paul's relationship to the church in Corinth. You see, Paul helped start the church in Corinth in 52 AD. Corinth was the capital city of the region of Achaia. It was a chief commercial city with a population of over 700,000 people. Corinth was a wealthy, cosmopolitan city, attracting people from all over the world. Its reputation grew as a center of luxury, indulgence, and vice. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians uh, around 55 AD. Now, if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians together, you'll see that God didn't, uh, Paul didn't always have the best relationship with the church in Corinth. There was great division in the church in Corinth. For some in the church of Corinth said that they followed Apollos, and others would say, well, I, Apollos, I follow Cephas, and others would say that they followed Paul. And there was other great division because of the different spiritual gifts that people had. There was this competitive nature. Well, you've got the gift of teaching, and so your gift must be better than the great gift of service. And, and Paul has to correct all this bad theology by helping explain that within the body of Christ, there should be unity, for we're all following Jesus, ultimately, and we've all been given different spiritual gifts, but it's the same Spirit who gives each one of us different gifts. And we're all members of the body of Christ together. And yes, ultimately, the rule that should govern the community, the body of Christ, is the rule of love. And love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not keep records of wrongs or rights. Love's belie love believes all things. Yes, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is love. Paul tells the church in Corinth. And then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, towards the very end of his letter to the church in Corinth, he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, he says, Now concerning the collections for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you 
a credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. You see, Paul had begun to collect and gather from the churches, the Gentile churches in regions like Achaia and Macedonia, a gift for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. It was impoverished. They were constantly being persecuted by the Jews. And so Paul knew that if he could gather a a gift, a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem, he would build a bridge between the, the Gentiles and the Jews. For historically, the Gentiles and the Jews had not gotten along. But through this gift, Paul hoped to build a bridge. And so he began to to gather a collection. Well, now in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he he follows through with those instructions and gives us insight on what should be our chief motivation for giving today. How we should give today. Please open your Red Pew Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 1230 of your Red Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who has made yourself known to us and your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You're also the God who, by your Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to put pen to paper to write instructions to the church in Corinth. God, we pray that as we read these instructions today, that you might penetrate our hearts, that you might open our eyes, that you might open our ears, that we might be changed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter eight, beginning with verse one, listen to the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, 
But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Macedonia was a region uh, of, of the Greco-Roman Empire. And Macedonia was the region where the churches like Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea were in. And if we read both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Philippians, we can see that those churches have begun to be persecuted in the midst of this persecution, there were certainly some economic hardships that they were facing as pagans would not want to, to do business with Christians who were following this man named Jesus that they called king that could, politically could be bad for them. And so they avoided the Christians. And so these churches in Macedonia were, were facing economic hardships. And yet, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their hardships, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give to the churches in Jerusalem. They didn't want that opportunity to be taken from them. Reminds me of the story that New Testament scholar Ben Withering tells about a woman in his father's church. A lawyer from his father's church had been sent to, to gather some of the pledge cards that had not been turned in from the various members. Here's how the story goes. One person who was on the lawyer's list was a retired woman living on a fixed income in a trailer at the edge of town. When the lawyer found the lady, he noted the condition of her tiny yard and the trailer, and he was growing reluctant to ask her for a pledge of money for the church. As their conversation wound down, the lawyer rose to leave without asking for the pledge, and the widow said to the lawyer, wait just a minute, son, I've got my pledge on the fridge. He muttered in return, oh man, that's okay, I, I can see you're just barely getting by. And before he could finish his sentence, the elderly woman grabbed the lawyer by the lapels, got right in his face and said, don't you take away my opportunity to give to the work of Jesus. Don't you take that opportunity from me, son. She went and got her pledge card and gave it to the elder in her church. Why was this woman so insistent on making sure she had the opportunity to give to the work of Jesus? Even in the midst of her own poverty, why was she so insistent that she make give back to God's church? What motivated her giving? It reminds me of the story that we find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, 21, verses 1 to 4, where Jesus is in the temple. And in fact, we have a, a painting in the Great Hall that depicts this scene. Luke 21, verse 1 to 4, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Why was the woman so sacrificial in her giving? to God's temple that day? Why did the elderly woman living in a trailer park insist that she give her pledge card to her church? 
Why did the church in Macedonia insist that they, they, they give to the needy church in Jerusalem, even though they, they were in the midst of their own economic hardships? What motivated all of these people to give so sacrificially? Well, as I look at our text this morning, and I think about all that Scripture teaches about giving and what should motivate our giving. I believe that what ultimately motivated this elderly woman in a trailer park, what ultimately motivated the the widow who gave her two mites, and what ultimately motivated the the poor Macedonian church to give beyond their means is that they were grateful. They were grateful for all that God had already done for them. Yes, gratitude was the great motivator for the first century church. We see in the New Testament that Tithing really is not commanded, although Jesus certainly affirms it in Matthew 23. The first century church gave well above a tithe. That's why they don't talk a lot about tithing. They gave sacrificially in gratitude for all that God had given to them. For James, the brother of Jesus, writes to us in his epistle, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All that we have, all that we are is ultimately a a gift from God. Our our spiritual gifts, our our natural abilities, our minds, our careers, our family, our, our friends, our church, all that we have and all that we are is ultimately a gift from God. So what are you grateful for today? As you came in this morning, I I pointed out that there's a post-it note on your uh, pledge card that was inserted in the bulletin. That's actually my intention. Uh, The idea is that before we begin to make a pledge to God, we want to give thanks to God for all the many blessings that he has bestowed upon us, all the things that God has done for us. When you think about all that God has done for you, what are you thankful for? When you think about the ministries of this church, what are you thankful for? Our our, church. uh, staff actually went through this exercise via an email. We have a slide here listing much of what was, uh, we're most thankful for, a prayer, and it may be a little hard to read because some of the words are a little small, but we're so grateful for the, just this fact that this is a praying church, this is a, a giving church, a generous church, a, a Christ-centered church, a word-centered church, a church where, where we are mobilizing and seeking to use our gifts and ministry together because we have so much to be grateful for. Hopefully, as you went through the Celebrate magazine, you, you joined us in that celebration, the celebration that 48 children came to Christ through our Vacation Bible School. That is amazing. That our youth ministry continues to be overflowing with young people on Wednesday nights. That our all-church retreat was, was so large that there are so many great things that God is doing as a part of our church. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for. What are you thankful for this morning in our church in our community, in your own life, in your business, in your family. On uh, Halloween, which was Reformation Day, but anyway, everyone else celebrates Halloween, uh, my, uh, my son decided to dress up like uh, uh, Mr. Rogers uh, with a red sweater and a tie, and he had a little sign that says, won't you be my neighbor? And uh, we told him that every adult who sees this is going to love it. You're going to get the most candy because they're going to be impressed with your uh, costume. And they were, uh, all the adults. But most of his friends had no idea who Mr. Rogers was. They were like, oh, who's Mr. Rogers? I was like, man, I'm getting old. Because I grew up with Mr. Rogers, right? And actually, he was a Presbyterian minister. I don't know if you knew that, but he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. 
And I did a little Google on Mr. Rogers, and I found this video clip of Mr. Rogers. He was winning a, a Lifetime Emmy Award. And at the ceremony, it was packed with Hollywood's Who's Who list. And, and when they announced the award to Mr. Rogers, everyone stood up. And, and Mr. Rogers came forward humbly, as he always was, and, and, he, and he held his Emmy. And before he said much, he, he said, I want to just take a moment and point out that every one of us here has someone in their life who encouraged them, who believed in them, and maybe others would not. I want you just to take a moment, if we can, just to, to thank those people. They may be in heaven today. They may be far away in a different part of the country, or they may be still in contact with you. But I, I want you just to take a moment to give thanks for those people. And he said, I'll just count the time. That's what we want to do today. We want to take a moment just to be thankful to give thanks to God for all that he's done for us. So Norman tells me I can hit this button and the music's going to play. And while the music plays, I want you to write down on your post-it note what you're thankful for. And later we're going to post these post-it notes on the cross of Christ. That melody that Norman miraculously played while he was standing over here on the organ here, uh, he pre-recorded, it's, it's amazing, but that new organ console is amazing. Uh, that melody, you may know it, it may be familiar to you, it's called Give Thanks. Here's the refrain of that song. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. As we reflect this morning on the 
eager sacrificial giving of the first century church, specifically the church in Macedonia, who gave above their means, even though that's not what Paul was asking. They gave well above what was required or or what he thought they could possibly do. We see that what ultimately motivated their giving was God's love, the great gift that God has given to us in his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. What should motivate our giving? It's ultimately God's love that we find in Jesus. For as Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, please read it with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, God's one and only Son, who had all the glory and riches of heaven, humbled himself and became a baby in a lowly manger. And then he grew up among us, and he, he taught us, and he healed us, and he did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to the, to the law of God, so that he might die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, so that our sins might be atoned for. As Jesus says on the cross in the Gospel of John, it is finished. Our sins have been atoned for fully by his death on a cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, as we read in 1 Corinthians. His God was so faithful to make this great sacrifice. And then on the third day, Jesus conquered sin and death on our behalf with with his resurrection so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, the gift of a new life if we simply believe in him. Yes, as we look at the first century church, we say they gave well above a tithe. They gave sacrificially in honor of the sacrifice. God has given to us and his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is God calling you to give this year? What is God calling you to pledge this year? I want to point out that Paul is very careful to say, now I'm not commanding you, church in Corinth, to to give a certain amount. I'm simply asking you to fulfill the pledge that you have already made. One of the reasons we ask everyone to turn in a pledge card is so that we, like the church in Corinth, can make a pledge to God, what we, what we plan to give in, in the next year. And, and if you're like my wife and me, we, this is one of the first things we do as we build next year's budget. We, we turn in this pledge, and then the rest of our budget is built around what we plan to give. Now, I don't know what anyone here gives. That's between you, the Lord, and our business office. They're, they're the only ones who know what you give. And maybe the IRS, if you ever get audited, you have to tell them. But that, that really is a personal decision. But what is God calling you to give? How might your giving reflect the generous nature of our God? Because if you're like the average American, as I pointed out last week, who only gives 2.5% of his income to his local church, I'm not sure we're being as generous as God is calling us to be. Does 2.5% reflect the generous nature of our God? What if you gave 1% more than you did last year. If you're, if you're not yet a tither, what if you made that commitment to say, I'm going to give one more percent a year until I, until I get to that point? And if you're like me, you may have, when you got that uh, magazine and you got your statement of current giving, you know, you could see that, well, we know we missed a few Sundays because we were out of town in July, and so we're like, oh, we're, we're a little bit behind. We've got we've to pick it up. We just need to follow through with what we'd already said we were going to do. And so we, we need to increase our giving for the next couple of months. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but 25% of our budget comes in November and December. We're currently running a deficit of over $100,000. It's in the bulletin if you want the details where our expenses exceed our revenue. It happens often 
happen in October. But we, by God's grace and, and your faithfulness, we always seem to make it in November and December. So we just need to follow through with what we'd already committed to do, like the church in Corinth. What is it that God is calling us to commit in 2019? May we prayerfully consider that as we make our offering this morning, praying that God might use our gifts to, to multiply it, as he did this past year, to, to minister to so many more, so that God might be glorified and we, we might reflect the generous nature of our God who spared no expense for us, but gave us his one and only son. In gratitude for his grace, may we make a pledge for next year. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who has been so generous to us. You have been so faithful to provide for all of our needs in Christ Jesus, Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that this time now as we prayerfully make our pledge to you, God, that you would guide our hands and guide our hearts and that we might make a pledge that in some way reflects the generous nature of our God. Oh God, may you be glorified in all that we say and do as we seek to use our time, talents, and treasures to help do the work of your kingdom. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.